How many is ready for the word of the Lord? Come on, put your hands together. We welcome you, all those who are watching online, those who are watching around the world on King's TV, and those watching here locally, and all the ones in the auditorium. We're so glad that you are here. Hope you are ready. It's a summer of DNA. It's our summer series. We started last week called DNA. We're learning who God created us to be. We need to know. You've got to know who you were created to be. If you do not know this, the, the world is trying to confuse our children on who they were created to be. They're trying to steal their identity. They're trying to get them confused. As I shared last week, one out of every 10 ch ch child uh, children ages 12 and under right now identify as non-binary. means they don't know if they're a man or they're a woman. And it's something that we saw is extremism is now moving into mainstream. And while the church is slowly sitting by, falling asleep, the enemy is coming like a python and wrapping itself around our children. So we need some people to stand up and say, I know who I am in God. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to train our children up according to we're going to raise some men up in the house. We're going to raise some women up in the house. We're going to raise some godly people with a godly purpose. So if you do not know who you are, you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are in God. If they can steal our identity, they can steal who we are in God. And then we got a useless church walking around with no purpose and no identity. But I'm here to declare just the opposite. We're going to thrive, not die. We're going to grow. We're going to see God do many things. And we're going to raise up a generation of God-given children who are ready to take this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say amen if you believe that. Let me read this quote for you today, because I'm going to talk about finding the real you. Turn to your neighbor and say, finding the real you. Finding the, the real, real you. I'm going to read this quote, and when I get done with this movie quote at the very end, if you know it, you can say it out loud with me. If you know it ahead of time, don't shout it out, but wait to the very end if you know it, and you can say it out loud who it's signed by. It says this, dear Mr. Vernon, we accepted the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write this essay telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms and the most convenient definitions, but what we found out is that each one of us is a brain. An athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, the... You guys watch way too much TV growing up, I tell you. The Breakfast Club. It's a coming-of-age movie where we have high school students who spent the day in Saturday detention all from different cliques and people groups. The athlete, the nerd brain, the scholar... We had the criminal who's always in detention. We had the outcast. We had the prep. We had the cheerleader. We had all these people. And as they got together, they realized they first come in thinking they were all opposites. But as the day went on, they discovered they were all just alike. And as they sat down and got really real, they began to cry and talk about the reason why they tried to achieve in athletics because they're trying to win dad's approval. I'm trying to get the highest grades in school because I'm trying to win my 
parents' approval. And I'm, how you don't know how the pressure it is to have to try to look pretty every day. And everybody thinks you're a princess. And all these things that went through, and they begin to cry, and they begin to share, and they all realized they had a lot in common as they were all looking just for affirmation. You know, it's the same thing in our, our life that from the time we enter our school years that we're always trying to fit in. We're always trying to find out where do I belong? Where is it I belong? What people group do I belong with? And we live our life trying to impress people who really don't matter. Let's be honest. We really live our life trying to impress people who really don't matter. And I, I know that I try to remind my, 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 my children this when they were going to school. And I know I know it's tough, and I know high school can be tough. But I just want to remind you that, you know, in, in four or five years, you won't be in contact with most of those people. You know, what who you are and who God's called you is, it's much more important. And you got to worry about what people, quit worrying about what everybody else thinks of you and worry about what God thinks of you. We live our lives trying to get affirmation from others. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop with high school. It doesn't stop in college. We live our lives trying to climb the ladder of success to impress people. Who can get the biggest house? Who can get the most cars? Who can have the best title? Who can have the best degree? We, we don't outgrow that. We, nowadays, it's even beyond that now. It's like who can have the most followers? Who can get the most likes? And we're living our life for all this. And it really, when it comes down to it, is that we live to get to the top. And when we get there, we realize it's empty. It's empty. There's no affirmation in the top. There's no affirmation in things. There's no affirmation in likes and followers that don't know you. They don't really know the real you. They just see the filter you put on your social media. There's no, there's no affirmation in that. I was watching the documentary the other day that Mike Tyson did. Maybe some of you saw that. And Mike Tyson was, as many of you know, he was, at one time, he was considered the, the most popular and greatest athlete in the world when he was the heavyweight champion knocking people out, you know, and it's like 15 seconds, 20 seconds. And then, of course, you know, he went to prison and he came back and fought and he was doing this whole documentary about his life and now that he's older and he, he talked and told a story and it says that when I grew up, I didn't know who my dad was. My mom was a drug addict, prostitute. And from the time I've been about six years old, I've been on my own, living on the streets and I had to hustle and I fought out of fear. He goes, I fought out of fear. It's either fight or someone was going to beat you up. Someone was going to rape you. It was either fight or someone was going to steal from you. And I, I learned to fight. And then when I got thrown in prison, I, I learned that the guards liked me. And then they took me to coaches and they liked me. And so I fought hard to win the affirmation of my mentors because they saw it in me. And so I, I fought hard for them to, to gain their trust and I gained their love. And then when I became world champion, I fought hard because I wanted all the affirmation of all the people and, and all the fame to come along with that. And he was, I loved, I thought it was going to make me feel good if everybody thought I was world champion. They would all love me. He goes, I made millions and I became world champion. He goes, but I was empty. That's what he said. I was empty. Why? Because it does not bring affirmation. You know what he said? I don't even know if he's a Christian. I don't think he is. And this is what he says now in his older years. He goes, you know what? They asked Mike, have you found peace? He goes, you know what makes me happy and what fulfills me? He goes, I've learned to be faithful to one woman, my wife, and to be a father to my kids. So you mean when you do God's plan, it brings affirmation to your life. That's exactly what he was saying right there. 
He didn't even know he was saying it. But that's, that's God's plan. And God's plan was bringing affirmation. There's more that God's got for him and us. But what I want to get you today is this, is that we got to stop getting our affirmation from the wrong people and learn to live our audience of one person, and that's God the Father. This is where our freedom comes. This is where my affirmation comes from. God made us to be who he created us to be. He created you unique. He formed you in your mother's womb before you were born. Your parents conceived you. God formed you. And God created you for a purpose, for a divine purpose. Do you think Jesus understood the struggle of identity? Think about it. I mean, just just throwing this out for food for thought. Think about Jesus. Here he was born through the Virgin Mary. He heard the stories that you were born by the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit. The angel came to Mary. Your dad, Joseph, didn't believe it, so the angel had to talk to him too. Then he went to the different ones, the shepherds. The angels went to the shepherds declaring, the star hung. You were born in the manger. The wise men came giving you gifts. You were prophesied about, prophesied about for all these years that you would come and the Messiah would come. And this was you, Jesus. You're, you're the Messiah, God. You, God sent you. You're God's son. And God's going to use you to save the world. But here he is, 30 years old, and he hasn't done any public ministry yet. Could, could have been that he was thinking, God, when, when am I going to get the green light here? I, I know I can help the world. I know I can save many. I know I can do miraculous signs. I know I can heal many people. God, when, can, when, when am I going to get the green light to start this? I wonder, I wonder what Jesus had to go through. The Bible says that he spent 40 days preparing himself for public ministry. When he was 30 years old, he entered the prey. And then when he came out during that time, he had faced some of the biggest temptations and Let's look and see exactly what Luke 4, 1 and 4 says he had a face. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where by 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, look at this, if you are, let's say it together, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, people do not live on bread alone. Isn't it amazing that when you're weak, the first thing Satan does is comes to, to tempt you is to say, if you are the son of God. I mean, if he could attack any of us, we could see where he would say, if, if God loves you, if, if God really likes you, I can see how he attacks us. But he, he attacked Jesus this way. How much more is he going to attack you and I? He wants you and I to doubt if, if we really belong to God. Does God really love you? Does God really care for you? If you are the son of God, this is what Jesus, he said, Jesus, if you really are trying to plant a seed of doubt, then prove yourself. And of course, Jesus answers them. I, I love this answer. Jesus says it right out of Deuteronomy 8, 3. He says, man does not live by bread alone 
but of every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Listen, when you come and live your life on the word of everybody else, you'll live your life in fear, you'll live your life in bondage, you'll live your life in a prison. But when you learn to live your life according to the word of the Father, which says you are chosen, you are affirmed, you are loved, today you are adopted. When you learn to live your life this way, it sets you free. Who are you living your life for? Jesus knew who he was. Why? Because the Father had already decreed it. He had already decreed it in the heavens and in the earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He was already affirmed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. I'm telling you, God already decreed who Jesus was, and Jesus never swayed when the enemy came to God. If, if you are, he didn't have to prove himself to no one. Why? Because he knew who he was. See, Jesus' lordship was not based off of his performance. This is important. His lordship was not based on his performance. His lordship was based on his sonship. Already connection to the Father, that he was the Father's Son. See, our identity, look at this, our identity is solidified by who God says I am. Not based on my performance. Some of you need to say amen for that because your performance really stinks. <laughs> but thank, thank God that my position in God is not based on my performance. It's based on who God says I am. This sets me free. Let me give you two solid truths about who we really struggle with, who we think we are. Number one, we struggle because we, we find that our security, our identity, it's found in what we believe others people's opinion of us is. We, we all struggle with this. We all want to put our value and our opinion and our identity based on what people think of us. Pastor Tom, if I'm worried about what he thinks of me all the time, what's he think of me? Am I good enough? Does he like me? Did I preach well enough for him today? Did I do what he wanted me to do? Then I become a prisoner to his opinion. See, some of us, and we don't do this with one person, we do it with multiple people. And many of them, they don't even know who you are. Do people like me? Am I good enough? Am I really good enough? People think I've tried hard enough. That people think I'm good enough. And I walk around when I'm worried about everybody else's opinion. I'm living my life tied to everybody else's opinion. There's only one problem with this. The Bible says, who the Son has set free. Come on now. Who the Son is set free is free indeed. Why would you be set free by the cross of Jesus and then walk around a slave to everybody else's opinion? No, take that off. There's only one opinion that matters, and that's God's opinion of me. And I've got to know what he says about me. I've got to know where I stand in position with him. I've got to know who I am in God. Because the more I know who God says I am, the more I'm free from what people think of me. It sets you free. I don't want to be a bondage today. How about you? And number two, when I do, look, when I let what I do, look at this statement. When what I do establishes who I am, then how good I am at what I do determines my value. That's deep right there. 
One more time. When what I do establishes who I am, then how, I good, how good I am at what I do determines my value. I'm a teacher. Well, what happens when you're not a teacher? Well, I've made it the president of the company. Well, what happens when that pre- the company changes presidents? I'm a business owner. What happens when you get rid of that business? I'm a pastor. What happens when you're not the pastor? Does God love you any less? No. But when I put all my value in what I do, then I perform to try to prove my value. What am I doing? Walking around a slave to everybody else's opinion. But the more I know, That God already values me. The more I already know who God says I am, it sets me free. It's who God has called me to be. Look at this in Luke 3, 21 and 23. I love this story. It's a story when Jesus was baptized. Look at this statement. It's verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him boldly from like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Now, I love this because we see something here. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus was baptized, how many miracles had he done yet? How many public ministries? How many public meetings? How many public miracles had he done? As far as we know, zero. But God affirms him before he enters into the ministry. Before he starts his public ministry, God already affirms him. Why? Because God was trying to show you and I a pattern that he loved Jesus long before he started performing and doing the will of the Father. He was affirming him ahead of time. God looks at you. Listen, God is affirming you right now. Long before you ever do anything for God, God's already affirming you. When you surrender your life to Jesus, he begins to affirm you right then. He begins to choose you right then. This will set you free. Now look at this today. I want you to see this. I'm going to give you some things. And the reason why is this. God's love for Jesus was not based on performance. It was based on sonship. It was based on that he was his son. This is why God was pleased with him. So let me give you three keys here help you discover who you really are in Christ. Number one, you got to know this. Everyone should know this. God, you are God's child. That when you surrender your life fully to Jesus Christ, when you surrender your life fully to Jesus Christ, you become a child of God. Your destination changes. Your attitude should change. Your affirmation should change. Your view of love should change. Your view of grace should change. Your view of mercy should change. Why? Because I'm God's child. Jesus came to show us the Father's side. He came to rescue us, to redeem us, but he also came to show us the the Father's side of God. And we see this. He said, this is my son. This is my son. The heavens open. This is my son. I'm well pleased with him. When Jesus taught us to pray, how did he say to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, how would be thy name? Jesus was constantly trying to show you and I the Father's side of God. 
He was trying to show this to us. Ephesians 1, 3, and 6, look what it says. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us, let's say that, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as the sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of the glorious grace which he has freely given to us, the one he loves. Now we see something happening here. It says that we are chosen and we are adopted. That God said before you were ever born, I chose you. I chose you before you were ever born, and I predestined that you would be a child of God. So once I surrender into the will of the Father, and say, God, I surrender my will to yours. I surrender my, my lordship. I give it up to you, and I surrender my life to you. I then am activated into the predestination that I was chosen of God. I'm walking in a new kingdom. I'm walking in a new spiritual authority. I'm walking forgiven. I'm walking in grace. I'm walking in God's love. I'm walking in God's affirmation. It's life-changing because I see, oh, you're the one who brings fulfillment. You're the only affirmation that will fill my void is the affirmation that comes from the Father. You can try it in everything else. You will be empty. Affirmation from the Father will bring you the, the feeling that you need in your life. And I say feeling, I mean feeling of your heart. I love this. And number two, I want you to get this. God is, God is passionately actively and intentionally in love with you. I can't, it, it's present, okay? It's present tense right now. He is actively, passionately, intentionally in love with you. He chose to love you. He chose to call you his own. Look at Ephesians 2, 4, and 7. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in money, right? No, God who is rich in, now I don't know about you, but I'm glad I serve a God who's rich in mercy because I need God's mercy. How about you? But the Bible, the good news is this, our God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our own sin. It is by grace that you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order, look at what it says, in order that the, in the coming ages he might show us the uncomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, what you got to get here is see this, that God has adopted you. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he takes you and says, all right, you now are adopted into the kingdom. You have been chosen into the kingdom. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. I've called you out of darkness into my wonderful light. You were drowning in your own sin, but because of my rich mercy, I rescued you, sent my only begotten. Son, that now you can walk and have a seat at the table. Remember last semester when I taught about 
King David going out and bringing Jonathan's son who was crippled and brought him back to the table and showed him mercy. This is what God does to us. We've been given a seat at the table. Even in our crippled state, we come to the table and he covers us. I've been chosen. You've been chosen. Turn to your neighbors. You've been chosen. God has chosen you. He wants to lavish you with his grace, with his kindness, with his love. Let me, let me put it to you in some plain English, okay? If I never did anything else for God, he wouldn't love me any less than he loves me right now. And if I go on to do a thousand more great things for God, he's not going to love me any more than he loves me right now. He loves me already. He's already loving me. He's already chosen me. He's already given me a seat at the table. And it's not based off of my performance. It's based off of what his son did on the cross. And when I accept that blood covenant and I come into a relationship with the son, I then am adopted by the father and I sit at the table with the son and the father. And if I'm sitting at God's table, there's no other table that's going to impress me. There's no other table that I long to, to try to get to. I don't care. I don't care whose table I sit at. I'm sitting at the table of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And let me tell you this right here. Number three, God the Father, he's pleased with his children. He's pleased with you. I know sometimes we are always, always trying to get God's affirmation. We never feel like we're good enough. We never feel like we're good enough. We never feel like we're good enough. Always trying to win God's affirmation. Always trying to win God's love. But look what Ephesians 2.10 says. For we are God's workmanship. Some translations say, finished masterpiece. That means you're God's Picasso. God looks at you and you're his greatest creation. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He created you in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has got a plan for you to do. He created you for a purpose, and you are his masterpiece. He wants to use you now. He wants to use you now to fulfill his work in your life that he's called you to live out. You're his workmanship. Listen, do you, let me ask you this. Do your kids ever do anything wrong? Yes. How many, how many want to be honest? Pastor, you better pray for me right now. My kids, they push. You ever had those days, come on now, when your kids really blow it? And it stretches you, right? As a parent, you're like, oh, Jesus, God help me. Don't let the spirit of Medea come out of me right now. Lord, I'm about to take this frying pan and knock someone over the head. You know, you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, in all the times that my kids have blown it, just like your kids have blown it. It's been times I was disappointed, but never once have I ever stopped loving my children. Why? Because they're mine. Sometimes our mom used to get mad when boys were younger because they'd be out, they'd be scrapping and wrestling around, and, and I'd be over like, <laughs> she's like, why? Why are you grinning and laughing? Because, you know, boys will be boys, and, you know, I see myself in them, and I was like, oh, yeah, I did that too. And I remember, you know, that's what dads do. We just laugh because we just, we just take joy even sometimes in their mischief because we really see ourselves through them. 
uh, what I'm trying to get is this. The reason why they bring joy to my life is because they're mine. They're mine. And the reason why God loves you is pleased because you're his. And see, listen, listen, this is so important. I don't want you to miss this. For no other reason than you're his. Yes, God has a work for you to do. But we don't do the work to earn God's love. We do the work in response of the love he's given me. The more I understand God's love for me, the more I understand God's grace for me, the more I understand how much he already affirms me, the more I understand he, he's pleased with me, the more I want to step it up, the more I want to please him even more, the more I want to change my life, the more I'll say I'll never go back to living through this ball and chain again. I'll never go back a prisoner to other people's opinion because I've been set free by the grace of God. I can live my life now pleasing the Lord. I live my life and I'll spend, I'll just tell you right now, I'm going to spend my dying breath doing everything for the kingdom of God that I can. Why? Because my God, rich in his mercy, changed my life forever. When other people saw a failure, he called me, he anointed me, he set my feet up to succeed. When other people said I'd fail, I'm telling you, my God has called me out and set me free. I don't live a prisoner to other people's opinions. Why? Because I'm living my life for an audience of one. Are you being held captive today? You know, I like this show, The Voice. You ever saw this scene, the show, The Voice? As we get ready to close, I, I want to give you this, this thought. The show, The Voice, I've, I've seen it a few times. I don't watch it every season, but I've seen some of the seasons. It's an entertaining show. Or people, I like it because people who are picked are not picked on their appearance. They're not picked on their age. They're picked solely on their voice. And so the judges have their back to the contestants. They've never seen them before. And they got to hear them sing. And then they got to decide, you know, they push the button. I want them on my team. And they turn around. And then they, then they see them after they pick them on their team. Then they can turn around and see who they picked. And it's, you know, you watch that show and you're like, I hate it when people aren't, aren't picked. Like, come on, somebody push the button, please. Please, somebody push the button. Ah, oh, somebody push the button. Like, yes, yes. You feel good for that person? I think some of us here, we're living our life that way. We're like, somebody push the button. Some of you have been living your life the whole way. Somebody push the button. Somebody pick me to be on your team. Somebody Say you want me. Somebody, somebody, I want to be noticed by somebody. I want somebody to say I'm significant. I want somebody to say I've got, I've got a talent. I want somebody to acknowledge me that I'm good enough to be on their team. But let me give you some information today. Stop auditioning for a part you have already been given. God has already picked you on his team. God's already predestined that you would be a part of his team. All you got to do is surrender your life and then walk right into the sonship, to the daughtership of who God's called you to be. God says you are good enough. God says you are worthy. God says I want you so much I gave my son to die that you could be on my team. Wow. This sets me free. I want you to stop living your life 
auditioning for a part that God's already given you. And I want you to start working and living, talking your life and living your life as a son of God, as a daughter of God, raising out of the ditch of sin, raising out of addiction, raising out of abuse, raising out of devaluing yourself and allowing the value that God's placed upon you to rise you up and raise you up out of that place. I want you to bow your heads. If you hear, say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Jesus right now. You've been talking, that's where it starts, right there, when you first surrender your life to Jesus Christ. We won't do anything to single you out in the auditorium if you're listening online. I'm speaking to you as well. Today's your day. You didn't watch this broadcast by accident. God ordained for you to hear me tell you a life-changing word that will change your life. It all starts with giving your life to Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus without anybody looking but me, can you just raise your hand? If you're sitting at home, raise it as well. Come on, raise your hand. Let me see you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Raise your hand if that's you. Thank you. you say, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. Thank you. I see those hands. Come on, you sit in the home today, wherever you're at. God's calling you from around the world, India, Pakistan. Do you hear me? God loves you. God's calling you. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for your life. And it's based on his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross for you. If you're ready to accept Jesus, I want you to say these words after me. As Christians around you, we'll say it with you. Say, dear Jesus, I surrender all of my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe you are the Messiah, God's only son. And from this day forward, I will live for you. I will follow you all of my days in Jesus' name. If you prayed that for the first time, we say welcome to the family. God, give me a hand.